And the Grammy goes to... As she accepted her Grammy Award for Best New Artist last month... Samara Joy! Samara Joy looked out at a sea of faces that she had grown up admiring and said... Oh my gosh, I can't even believe... I've been watching y'all on TV for like so long. (laughs) So (laughs) to be here with you all, born and raised in the Bronx, New York, my family's here. (laughs) I've been singing all my life, my grandparents, my father, my I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for this honor. Thank you to everyone who has listened to me, who has supported me. All of you are so inspiring to me because of who you are. You express yourself exactly who you are authentically. So to be here, oh, my, by, just being, by just being myself, <laughs> by just being who I was born as, it's just, I'm, I'm so thankful. Thank you to my team. Thank you. It was almost as though she was reminding herself of just how far she'd come in so little time. That was a big moment for the 23-year-old singer, who was just a year and a half out of college. As she delivered her speech, the camera cut to Lizzo and Adele, each with a hint of a tear in their eyes. It was also a big moment for jazz at the Grammys, and by extension, in the larger popular consciousness. Samara Joyce is only the second jazz singer ever to win the Best New Artist Award. Esperanza Spaulding was the first. Samara also took home the Grammy for Best Jazz Vocal Album this year, for her record Linger a While. In some ways, Samara Joy's extremely rapid rise is like a fairy tale. And on the other hand, it's a reminder that sometimes some artists arrive at the right time and meet their moment head on. Welcome to The Third Story. I'm Leo Sidrin. I first met Samara Joy as she walked off the stage at the Montreal Jazz Festival last July. I walked with her as she made the short yet harrowing journey, especially in the height of heels that she was wearing, from the stage to the merch table to greet her fans. It is just, I don't know, this is the first like big festival that I've ever really performed at, a big festival like this. I haven't even really been to festivals like this before, so um, it's cool, you know, it's cool to be a part of in this way and have it be received pretty well, since it's kind of like a small, intimate set, I guess, that that I... and I, I kind of like those spaces better, but... So how did it feel for you translating into such a big space? I don't know. I do, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I'm still learning. I want, I, wanted to, I want to do it better next time, but I think it went over pretty well for I this time. I think you convinced them, yeah. You are 22 two years old yes. right now. 22. You just graduated from college last, last year. year. We graduated, and then it was, it was virtual. Yeah. I sang the, the, the anthem virtually. Yeah. Um, and I, we got our diploma maybe like four months later. So it didn't really, it was like graduation and then straight to work because yeah. we had already recorded the album and it had already been, well, it hadn't been released by that point, but we were getting ready, gearing up for like tour dates and stuff like that. What was that last so. year like for you of school where it's like, you know, this is coming for you, you know, the record's going to come out, you know, your career is going to separate, you still have to finish school. Pandemic and taking Zoom classes yeah. and commuting because I didn't live on campus. Yeah. It was like... It's hard to believe that was less than a year ago, because since then, Samara has become a kind of inevitable-seeming fixture on morning talk shows, billboards, jazz festivals, playlists, the radio, and more. But indeed, it was not so long ago that Samara Joy was a student at Purchase College, taking jazz history classes with the great drummer Kenny Washington. Kenny would also go on to play on her first records. I ran into Kenny Washington last week in Brooklyn, as a matter of fact, just coincidentally. And I asked him about his early perception of Samara back when she was a student. She took my jazz history class. And man, I'm telling you, all these other guys, you know, I'd ask questions and everybody sits up there like, you know, 
Well, Professor Washington, hold on. Hey, well, Professor Washington, uh, in 1938, yeah. So then I'd ask another question. She raised her hand and said, yes, Samara. Well, da 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 la 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 I said, guys, man, what's happening here, man? Is, is there anybody in this class but Samara? You know, she was interested. She wanted it. You know, a lot of times in these schools, man, a lot of the students get there. They, they sit back and say, okay, teach me. Nah, it doesn't work like that, man. I mean, it's like she just, like, sopped up everything, man, you know. And then she called me for her first record. I didn't know how well she sang. Plus, she had a great background. Her parents, they were into gospel music, and her father's a bass player. So that helped. She grew up hearing these great vocalists in her house, you know, the Mahalia Jacksons and, you know, Mavis Staples and all these kinds of people. See, so that helps a lot. See, so she got that sound in her head, and she's going from there. So I wish her the best. As Lucky Thompson would say, I hope the parasites don't get her. Lucky Thompson used to call these club owners and promoters and shysters, he used to call them parasites. She's the best thing to come along and vocalist in quite some time. I hope she continues to sing jazz too. I really, really hope that she continues to go that route rather than to start singing popcorn music. I mean, you know, that stuff is okay, man. I mean, but I hope that she doesn't get pulled over into, you know, some other stuff. I mean, yeah, she can do gospel and all that, but let's sing some jazz, man. I mean, sing some, you know, I hope that, I hope she continues like that. Hearing Kenny Washington talk, you really get the sense that so many eyes and ears are on Samara Joy right now, and that with success comes expectation, with notoriety comes pressure, with awards come demands. What must she be feeling right now? Well, my friends, today, Samara Joy will tell us in her own words about where she came from, how she got here, and where she thinks she might be going next. And she does it all while sitting on the curb in the parking lot behind her hotel in Palm Springs, California, where I caught her last month, just a couple of weeks after her Grammy success. Third-story.com is the place to go to sign up, subscribe, get involved, visit the full archive, including conversations with other notable jazz singers like Surreal M.A., Roxana Ahmed, Dee Dee Bridgewater, Duchess, Kat Edmondson, Kurt Elling, Lauren Henderson, Stacey Kent, Camila Meza, Madeline Peru, Rachel Price, Curtis Steigers, Janice Siegel, and Sachel Vasandani, for example. Wowza. Also, you can hear my conversations with Matt Pearson, who is both Samara's producer and manager, and who also helped make this interview possible. So thank you, Matt, for that. The third story is made in collaboration with WBGO Studios. Visit wbgo.org studios to find out more about all their award-winning content. And patreon.com slash thirdstorypodcast is another place you could go and see what happens. And also, please don't forget to leave a review or some stars on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you. Here's me and Samara Joy sitting on the side of the road in Palm Springs, talking it down and getting recognized by passersby. Well, one of us anyway. Hello. Looking at the mountains. Looking at the mountains. Okay. Samara Joy. Hi, hi, hi. On the street in Palm Springs, California. (laughs) (laughs) Flew in last night. Yep. From where? From JFK. From New York City. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking to see if there's like sh- a shady spot for us to for sit because <laughs> it's hot. It's really hot. Yeah, I, I don't was want looking at like the bus stops. I know. I was looking at the bus stops too. I kind of love the idea of sitting at the bus stop with you. And I just talking. want a shady one. 
Should we walk? Is this the back of the hotel? This is the back of the hotel, yeah. Maybe. So I'm wondering if we did. I mean, we could. Can we sit on the curb? I, I, we it's definitely such a goofy can. thing. I, I, I want to <laughs> treat you with the respect that you deserve. This is so low key. I love it. But this is about as low key as it gets. Let's sit here on this curb. It's Let's in the, do it. It's in the shade. I hope nothing comes out of this little I know. hole over here. <laughs> I ran into you briefly right as you walked off stage in Montreal seven yeah. months ago. Mm-hmm. You said to me, you had never played at a jazz festival before. It was your first time. You said to me. You've never even been to a jazz festival before. Mm-mm. That's seven months ago. Does that feel like a hundred <laughs> years ago? It does, because I remember, I guess, how I felt at that moment, like being with all those people standing up outside, like waiting for my set or anything. I was just like, whoa, this is not this is not something that I normally normally do. But um, yeah, it feels like a while ago, but I'm grateful for that experience and those that came after. What has come since then? I mean, what like when you look at it's not even a year. Does this even come close to something that you would have hoped for as a, as a possibility? You know what I mean? Like yeah, if you, seven months ago, you, you would have been like, I, you know, I'm going to put out a record. I'm going to win two Grammys. <laughs> I'm going to be like so busy that I actually have to postpone concerts. That's how busy I am. No, I never imagined that this would be my life. I um, when making like when making both albums, it was just kind of like. You know, one, it would be nice to be a part of a label, you know, and get that kind of support as far as like distribution and promotion and everything like that. The regular start of a career, I guess. So to go from that to now all of these eyes and like attention are kind of on me and like all these opportunities are are opening up. I never imagined going in like the Grammys growing up was just like something to watch on TV for fun to see celebrities Mm -hmm. in their element (laughs) (laughs) and then kind of turn it off and go back to real life. So the fact that I was a part of it based on, you know, just being myself, you know, it wasn't anything forced or anything like that. All of this happened very organically, I feel um, fast, but authentic nonetheless. Mm. So I don't know. I'm just happy. That's a really interesting distinction to make that it's been fast but it's still authentic Mm -hmm. because like when you describe watching the grammys and then being able to turn it off and go back to real life right but this is real life for you right now there's no turning this off which is crazy it's so crazy i mean going and being on the red carpet with my little brother and spending time in la with my family yeah running into the rock or (laughs) mary j blige or trevor noah or Um, Pharrell or Taylor Swift is a couple tables in front of me. Beyonce just walked in. And at the end of the Grammys, she turned to me and literally told me congratulations. I was like, oh, so this is happening. It really is. (laughs) Beyonce knows who I am. Knows who I am. I had to say a speech. I had to get a speech together (laughs) while all of these, (laughs) the top of the music industry is watching me right now. Yeah, that was insane. So part of your story is that you started singing jazz pretty recently. Yeah. So I wonder if even like the idea of Beyonce looking at you is, you know, that was maybe more of the music that you were listening to when you were younger than Mm. the music that you're singing now. I definitely listen to a a mixture of everybody. It's like looking at all those celebrities. I know some Taylor Swift songs. I know some Beyonce songs. I know some... uh, Pharrell songs for sure. Like it was all mixed in with like Motown, and yeah. and that's what I had to. I got the chance to sing for Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson. Yeah. At the Music Cares event there, the the couple days before the Grammys, and I was like, I know all of these songs, the Four Tops, you know, Temptations and everything. So I got a mix of all. 
I don't know. I got a mix of a lot of different uh, styles, I guess you say, or a lot of different artists. Maybe that's better to say. So, um, yeah, when, when I started listening to jazz, it was maybe a bit easier for me to embrace just because I had always listened to, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going from pop to jazz. You're going from everything. I was going from everything to like, okay, here's one style that I really am not familiar with at all. But because of that, I have an opportunity to learn about it, you know, and to immerse myself in like this rich, even though it's like technically referred to as like a young music, there's so many records (laughs) and so many recordings. And so, you know, live and, you know, and otherwise. So, I mean, it's interesting that you say that it's a young music and you can immerse yourself in it because there are also so many jazz snobs out there Mm -hmm. who have devoted their whole life to it. And, you know, and and you picked it up so recently and took to it. It seemed like something that was also must have been a natural fit for you when you started singing jazz. Kind. I mean, when I first started, my teacher was like, you have a beautiful resonance to your voice, but it's kind of sounds like you've never heard jazz before really which i hadn't so yeah. you know she was right in her uh in her uh, uh observation i guess um but yeah she's like you have a beautiful resonance all you need to do is listen to some more of it <laughs> and get more of that sound in your because i had the i guess the sound of what gospel was to me growing up the mm. sound of what you know motown was to me the sound of r&b and soul and everything like that i had all of that um in me already and so i just needed that extra that element in order to um, approach the music from an authentic place. So what did you listen to? What did they suggest, your teachers yeah. suggest that you listen to to get more of the jazz sound and less of the gospel sound in your voice? Well, Ella was prescribed immediately, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was great because I was like, I need to, to learn the melodies of the songs because I, I was tempted to go with Sarah Vaughn more often because she found ways to go around it and found ways to embellish and stuff that I really kind of wanted to impress my classmates with Mm -hmm. because we had to learn repertoire together every single week and like perform it for each other and play together with it and everything so yeah Ella and Sarah was like the first the first two that I you know was listening to purely for learning repertoire and learning melodies and stuff and this is at SUNY Purchase Mm -hmm. what made you decide to go to school for jazz though I knew that I wanted to sing yeah. and I knew that I wanted to, I knew that I didn't want to take like a gap year yeah. because my mom was like, if you take a gap year, you're not going to go back to school. Do you think she was right? Yeah. <laughs> because if I think, I think if I had just started working, I probably wouldn't have had the motivation to go to school, go to, go to college right after high school. And so I was like, okay, I know I want to sing. I know I want to go to college. I want to experience that. But I didn't have money for Berkeley or Juilliard or... MSM or any of the schools wasn't really familiar with their programs anyway, but my school, we were required to apply to six SUNY schools and I believe four, or it was four SUNY schools and six CUNYs. Your high um, school. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was like, I was a part of this like graduation program where it's like, our goal is to get you into college. Uh-huh. So that was a, one of the requirements. And I went, I was like, okay, I know I let a song go out of my heart and Things Ain't What They Used To Be. Those are the only two songs that I knew. Um, and SUNY Purchase was the only program, was the only SUNY that I saw that had like a jazz program and had a, a singing, you know, that yeah. a singing focus, I guess. So I was like, I'm going to go there. It's 30 minutes away from my house. One of my cousins went there before she went to MSM. So I was like, there's some sort of familiarity there. Mm-hmm. So 
I went, I auditioned with Pete Malinverney and um, thankfully I got in because, I mean, he, he let me sing my song, but then he was like, you know, let's do a hymn together. And we did a hymn, Blessed Assurance. And he was like, we would love to have you here. I was like, really? In the moment, right yeah. in the moment. <laughs> we would love to have you here. And even, you know, emailed me afterwards and was like, you know, wherever you're thinking about, we can answer any questions you might have, but we would love to have you a part of this program. And in my head, still, I was like, really? Like, <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't feel like I fit, but I still was like, I, if any, if I'm going to college for anything, I want to go to college to sing. They were so right, obviously, mm -hmm. but think about what it means for them to be able to say now that you just graduated from that program. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really a great place for me to be because there were professors who were like active musicians who yeah. were playing, you know, like Kenny Washington. She took my jazz history class. That we would go and see and like sit in with, yeah. you know, and, and get like an oral history of their experiences playing with great musicians and the program, you know, I had players from the Village Vanguard band. So, and it was like a, an acceleration mm -hmm. of everything that you needed to learn Obviously, you have to go out and kind of like go to the real school of life and playing gigs and stuff like that. But everything as far as like collaborating with my peers and, you know, putting together a set list, going to gigs and being able to count off a song, like all of that I learned in four years, which is amazing. But and Kenny Washington, what I had heard was he was, you know, not only your professor, but then he also kind of showed you the ropes in terms of the the real world school is that true or not or did it mostly happen i mean i played with him yeah he was definitely i think in school was yeah. like the main education that i received from him because he taught jazz history yeah and so he would ask me and the other singers in the class like do you know who this is so then i'd ask another question do you know who this is have you ever heard of this person have you ever heard this record and we'd be like, nope. No, nope. it was always no, always no. <laughs> it was nope. always a no. It was like, no, I don't think so. You know, and not just not just singers, but musicians. You yeah. know, in, in general. You know, she was interested. She wanted it. He really helped us to study the sound. You know, and be able to tell who is playing and why. How do you know that it's who that is? You know, just just listening to the little details and stuff. So, when I listen to music, I'm not only listening to the singer, but I'm listening to the band around them. I'm listening to all of that and trying to apply it to my own things. Yeah. You had to find your sound, though. I mean, you had Ella, you had Sarah Vaughan, you had these teachers, you mm. had the repertoire, or whatever. But like. Did you find your sound changing in those years? Did you try different styles? If we heard a recording of you four years ago, would it, was it the same, more or less the same concept that we know now? Did it change quickly? Well, if you heard me four years ago, wow. That was probably around the time of the, or maybe before the Cerevon mm -hmm. competition. But yeah, I, I think it was definitely a lot less developed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot less developed. There weren't as many, I would say, improvisational mm -hmm. ideas going on and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I sung the melody pretty straight, mm -hmm. very simple and straightforward, I would say. And I think that it's it's still that way now. It's just I, because of, of listening to all that stuff, I think I have a lot more freedom now. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think about how my voice changed because of listening to jazz, it's kind of the same way my voice changed whenever I was listening to like Layla Hathaway right. or, or uh, Kim Burrell or Stevie Wonder or like Shaka Khan or something like that I absorbed all of that mm -hmm. and whenever I sang you know usually there was something in there that I grabbed from them but you know through that and through singing and just through the trial and error of things you know eventually you find your own I don't know not signature thing that you do but I think that it, it's I, hopefully I continue to keep changing and not necessarily fall back on 
cliches or anything like mm-hmm. that but keep with every gig and with, with every like addition to in, in terms of repertoire and stuff like that expanding on you know what what music that i have inside me that i want to i want to convey to everybody else what do you make of the comparisons like i think you probably have been compared i'm guessing most to sarah Vaughan. yeah what do you make of that when you hear that i mean is that useful to you is it not useful to you do you recognize why the comparison is made I do. I recognize it. I think I'm grateful for it, you know, that people are reminded of of a a songstress uh-huh. such as Sarah Vaughn, um, because she was one. Like, I'll never deny that. Yeah. Be like, I don't sound like it. was like I copied, like, everything that she did. Look at me. I'm as helpless as a kitten up a tree. And I feel like I'm clinging to a cloud I can't understand I get misty Just holding your hand Walk my way And a thousand miles I also, I'm also me yeah. in 2023, and I have different influences than Sarah Vaughn had, and therefore I will, I'll ultimately sing in a different way. I can never put down that comparison. I welcome it, yeah. and at the same time, I think that people understand that although maybe the warmth of my sound or certain um, inflections mm-hmm. or things that I do are influenced by her, and you'll hear that. Because you can tell when, you know, like a pianist or a trumpet player, anybody has listened to sure. one of those foundational like players while all while having their own unique sound. So I appreciate it. And I know that people, even with those comparisons, they recognize that I have my own voice and I'm trying to uh, yeah. trying to share that with people and, and grow it, you know, which is kind of weird being 23 now and having to grow under like everybody's <laughs> under everybody's lens I guess of what I should do and what's been successful so far and that kind of thing. Yeah, what is that like? Most artists in the world crave exactly the thing that you get, mm-hmm. which is that people pay attention and that they care. Yeah. But then when it's happening to you, you have the alternate challenge of having to develop while everybody's watching you. Yeah. Which is kind of motivational yeah. because, you know, like I want to present something good, not necessarily like it has to be, you know, extravagant and, yeah. you know, everybody's watching. But, you know, I want it to be I want it to be something that people enjoy. Yeah. I was just talking to Robert Glasper the other day for a Harper's Bazaar interview, and he was telling me about the fact that he started playing in church and then he came to New York, went to new school and was kind of a part of the whole, he, like he had sessions going on in New York, but also he was kind of a part of the whole neo-soul movement yeah, and got sure. to play with all of these different people, Common and Erica Badu and everything like that. And all of that before, you know, black radio. Yeah. Having all of those experiences and, and getting to sharpen your craft before necessarily getting like the big, 
mountaintop moment or like the big, big recognition or anything like that. It's special. And I think maybe I took for granted a little bit how much time I had <laughs> as far as like being in school. It's like I got, you know, plenty of time to get this this right and you know which is which is still relevant but and it's still I still think that but yeah it's just weird to now have these recordings that I was like okay I'm getting better I'm getting mm -hmm. a little bit better a little bit better and people acknowledge it as like oh this is the greatest thing I've ever yeah. heard I'm like I'm still working yeah on I'm it. still working <laughs> on it <laughs> yeah I'm like you ain't heard nothing yeah yet. exactly <laughs> well that's a good way to feel you know yeah. that you ain't heard nothing yet not like what am I gonna do now yeah you know? yeah, yeah no because I feel because with all of the people that I admire as far as like a, a Betty Carter, mm -hmm. they all like progressed naturally and became whole musicians. Yeah. Not necessarily, or like Max Roach, like mm -hmm. not really henpecked to one thing, but they changed the yeah. course of music, but not because it was like forced or not because it was like, yeah. it was just because of what they heard inside, what they were hearing around them. You yeah. know, it was a, it was a progression. It was a growth that came naturally and it developed over time. And so that's what I hope to do. Yeah. You know, and I don't feel like I'm, you know, this is the end. It's only the beginning. This thing about progression is interesting because, you know, it can be interpreted in so many ways. Like yeah. some people would take the conversation around progression in the music and they would think, well, that means that the music itself has to sound very different today than right. it did 60 years ago. Well, it's or like it sounded ago. like modern then. I definitely understand that because like progression. OK. Yeah. We're just going to while out i was yeah. like wait a minute yeah. <laughs> all of these musicians they had a foundation yeah, well that's so that's something about your most recent record the one that won, won all the awards is that it's very pleasant to listen to and yeah. it's easy to listen to and i frankly think it's a record that is easy to listen to for people who might not listen to other jazz records it's a record that you can have in your collection next to all kinds of other music and i wonder if people are not feeling in any way that they have to know anything in particular before they listen to or like do an exam or yeah. something before you're allowed to enter this side yeah. when it's like yeah i think because jazz was so accessible for me when i first started listening to it the goal is to kind of make it so that it's accessible for everybody i want to make stuff that's nice to listen to you know beautiful music um, because that's what drew me to jazz in the first place so many of these songs are written in another generation, also have been made, if not famous, they have, the songs have relationships with previous singers and mm. the previous singers have relationships with oh, the yeah. songs. You know, and you have to really embody these songs. I mean, some of these songs have kind of become yours. You know, Guess Who I Saw Today is yeah. like, that. that's a song that incredibly it kind of belongs to you at this mm. moment. What is your relationship like with the repertoire and what, what do you go through when you bring a new song in and you know, how do you process all that? It's weird to say, guess who I saw today is mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I have had experiences where people are like, your song. Yeah. I'm like, my song. Yeah. But, you know, that's their introduction to it, which I'm now a lot more mindful of and grateful to, to be able to give, I guess, to the next generation. You're so late getting home from the office. Did you miss your train? Were you caught in the rain? No, don't bother to explain. Can I fix you a quick martini? As a matter of fact, I'll have one with you. For to tell you the truth, 
I've had quite a day to I think that my relationship with repertoire has definitely, I don't want to say fluctuated, but at first, I think in my mind, it was all about finding stuff that nobody was doing. Mm-hmm. Because? As, because of Cecile. I was like, I love her repertoire, and she finds these like these songs that nobody else is doing, but she like puts her spin on it, and it sounds like her song. And so I was like, I, I want to be able to do that, which I still kind of do, but I'm like, okay, it's okay to have standards that are well known and that people can relate to and kind of mix it at least for now mix it with you know new songs that you want to bring into the repertoire and introduce people to and also I've been getting into like with each artist that I listen to I'm like Carmen McRae does a lot of songs that are not as well known a lot of standards that are not as well known but also Abby Lincoln Mm -hmm. writes her own material yes um which I try to incorporate as well like Betty Carter Mm -hmm. maybe she also has like uh, deep cuts in her repertoire, <laughs> but then her arrangements are amazing. Yeah. In the past couple of years, I've been a little bit more intentional about that, about like not just pulling every standard I can that nobody knows and trying to, you know, it's just like, you know, a little bit at a time. It's like this, maybe this Billie Holiday song I really like, I want to introduce Abby Lincoln or Barry Harris. You know, he wrote a lot of great melodies Mm -hmm. and I can write lyrics to Mm -hmm. and introduce that. And there's something that nobody knows because it's never been Mm -hmm. done before as far as like writing lyrics to it. You know, you mentioned that Cecile McLaurin Solvant, the way she pulls repertoire was an influence for you. And in Mm -hmm. a way, it was almost like you thought you had to do that too. In order to, yeah. Does she weigh heavily on you just as another artist, contemporary singer? Yeah, she's one of my, she's definitely one of my biggest contemporary influences as far as like the way the way that she sings some of her original music I really enjoy I got to see her in Spain we were there I think our gig was the next day and she Mm -hmm. had just gotten there the day before and it's like I heard her I think it was I think I heard her a couple months before Montreal at at Montreal Mm -hmm. and then hearing her a couple months at Spain doing some of the same songs but it's always different yeah and that's what I that's one of the things that I really take away from her is like to always experiment, because sometimes I get a little bit nervous about experimenting with something because like the people they came for the show, they paid for the show, they expecting a good show. And I don't want to like mess it up, or mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, or, or present something that's not like my best. But I realize like if you don't reach for those things, you know, then the music is just, you know, it's just stale and people can tell that. And I can tell that on stage. It's like, I want to have fun doing this, you know, and not really knowing what comes next is, is the fun part. You know, obviously there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. But yeah, I really enjoy not only her original music and her bands and um, obviously her beautiful voice and all the <sighs> the range, but um, the fact that she has so much of her own musical influences in her and I can hear them all when she sings and it's never the same way twice. I really appreciate what you say about that tension between wanting to deliver something for your audience because yeah. they know, you know, and they maybe they saw you on television or they... And they're, like, accustomed know. to a certain thing. Yeah. And it's not like I'm trying to present something, you know, crazy, different, you know. It's just not wanting it to be, like, the same, sh- like, the show I did last night, yeah. you know. Wanting wh- it to what be chances to take and yeah. which... I heard an interview years ago with Abby Lincoln where she said... She, she had this expression that I love where she said, you know, I'm not trying to be a safe Jones, meaning, like, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to just 
keep it safe all the time. That's yeah. how I took it. You mm-hmm. know, I'm trying to, I'm going to go out there and like, you know, put it out there, take yeah. the risk for you. Exactly. Reach for something. You have to reach for the sky. If you don't make it, at least you reached for it. So your voice cracked, but you reached for it. You don't play safe. It's not safe, Jones. You admit you take a chance on making a mistake. And yet, I don't think it's misguided to also feel the responsibility for your audience. And like, that's that's a hard line to walk, you know? Yeah. So that's, and that's also kind of where repertoire comes in. It's like, okay, we're going to do this ballad. It's going to be very sweet and lovely. Bam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. The balance. Yeah. <laughs> so you came from a, a deeply musical family. Yeah. Your grandparents founded a, a gospel choir. choir. Save it to Philadelphia. Your father's a musician. Bass player. And, and I tried to like slap a little bit when I was, when I was um, in high school. He got me a five-string Fender, um, Fender Jazz Started bass. with the five-string. Yeah, which I really loved. Like, I would just, I would be trying to learn, you know, Jackson's and, uh-huh. and like, Brothers Johnson, like, off the wall and stuff like that. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't quite get it. But, <laughs> well, you're starting <laughs> with really the hard stuff. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never, see, I never liked to start with the easy stuff. Yeah. It was like, I wanted to get right to, like, the, yeah. you know, right to the, the cool experts. Stuff, yeah. yeah, all the cool stuff. What do they make of your trajectory well, right now. wow so i i only have one grandparent left and he is actually one of the the founders of of the save vets of philadelphia elder goldwire mcclendon he's 92 years old um and he called me the other day after i was on the jennifer hudson show yeah and he said um wow i saw you on tv and you had the save vets of philadelphia uh. up there um so proud of you keep doing what you're doing which was so i feel so honored for him to see the fact that the musical legacy is continuing. And, and we even got the chance to sing together in Philly for a gig at the Ardmore. It was like the Christmas tour. And he was up there with, you know, his sons, my dad and uncle and my cousins. Because you, you, you recorded the song with, with all your, oh, all Holy your Night. family. Oh, yeah. Holy, Holy Night, yeah. Um, but at the, at the show we did, um, with my grandfather, we did Angels We Have Heard On High. <laughs> And it just feels it feels amazing to 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 be able to um, honor him while he's here, as well as to present like this incredible thing that I thought was normal for everybody. You know, I thought everybody grew up singing together <laughs> and you know made music and, and came to, came around for thanksgivings and sang and stuff like that so you know to be able to present something so special that was um fundamental to who i who i am is is a is a blessing so tell me more about that like what that thing that you thought everybody did sing together thanksgiving or whatever. oh yeah what, what, what would a family gathering be like when you were growing up well my most of my family at least those who have like a house yeah. that we could get together at was in like Philadelphia or Delaware. Uh-huh. And so I remember me and my dad driving my siblings and my uncle and we would go, we would drive to Delaware. Um, we would get there, we would eat, we would, you know, talk and everything like that. And eventually there'd be a piano and, you know, one of my cousins would 
would sing and like they would pass the mic around and stuff. Um, and just, you know, just pick a song and sing it, you know? And like... Uh, was there an expectation everybody's going to sing? Everybody who wanted to, yeah. I guess. But normally everybody sang. Everybody wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, at the time I wasn't, um, I guess, either old enough or, or brave enough to, to do it. So I would just watch. Hmm. Um, but whether it was like Thanksgivings or like being home, listening to my dad sing, because he would have musicians over all the time. As far as like, you know, laying down tracks or like writing for people and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So there was always music in the house and music around me. But um, yeah, everybody in my family. But sings. were you shy to do it for a while? In front of family, yeah. Yeah, I only did it really in school. Did you do it in front of your father even? He actually, he allowed me, you know, when he was doing, he was doing some song for one of his friend's daughters. And I did like background vocals, which was... You know, my first time doing something like that. So I was in his studio at, at our house, mm -hmm. which he still has at our house in the Bronx, um, and doing background vocals. So he heard me and... How old were you, um, do you think? Maybe like 11. Yeah. Yeah, 11 or 12. And like, I mean, I did like school concerts and musicals. And so he would come to those too. So they all they all pretty much knew yeah. after a while. But I, when I was younger, well, no, I can't say that because he found a cassette tape recently of me singing Usher uh -huh. <laughs> when I was like four or something yeah. like that. So, so it yeah. was happening. How much of a role did gospel music play in your family life and in the music at home? Yeah, I think it played a big role. I, I think it didn't play maybe as big of a role in my life until mm -hmm. I actually started singing in church, mm -hmm. um, which was when I was six. 15, 16 uh -huh. years old, we started going to this church up the street from my high school in the Bronx. And I w we went for a couple months and then I joined the choir um, in the alto section. Mm -hmm. And then there was like the choir and then there were the worship leaders. So there were like six or seven people with a microphone actually like leading songs. Even though the age limit was 18 mm -hmm. for the church, um, they, let me, they let me lead worship at 16 years old. And I was like, and this, and at the time it was maybe like 400 members because we had we had service on saturday and sunday um but on saturdays it was always full and i was just like i can't do this mm -hmm. <laughs> like it was just cause too many people too many people and i was wasn't singing in front of that many people before so um it was nerve-wracking because i felt like i definitely had to grow up and be like okay you know you're here you step have, up like, a bunch of adults you know watching you there's a live stream i think that that experience of singing gospel in church every single week you know for multiple services a week um it helped me to realize that it's not when it comes to singing it's not necessarily about showing off um it's about bringing people in mm -hmm. you know and i didn't realize that at first because we're on a stage, we're performing, you know, look what I can do. <laughs> but it's really not, it's really not what it's about in any, in any field, I don't hmm. think. Of course you want to, you want to, you know, show off your skills and, yeah, and everything course. like that, but do it in a, a musical and a tasteful way that, you know, that encourages people to, to listen and not necessarily like feel like there's a wall between you as far as like, okay, we're here to to spectate <laughs> you know it's like i want everybody to be a part of the yeah. the experience with me you know the stories that i'm trying to 
to tell through these songs and the story that the whole band is trying to to offer to people mm-hmm. like i want it to be inviting as opposed to like separating distant. yeah so if that crowd i mean we're not talking about that long ago no. that you're looking at a crowd of 400 people and no. saying like that's too big for me i can't do it yeah and you know I, i'm not sure how big the room is tonight but obviously since then you've played for large large audiences yeah do you feel comfortable doing it now i do i think i definitely prefer intimate rooms yeah um but also i think the largest now is like four thousand yeah. italians in uh, at umbria jazz yeah. festival opening for tom jones yeah oh no tom jones and johnny depp oh right and jeff beck may you rest in peace yes but yeah it was i mean it's nerve-wracking always but like i think that with everybody i want it to be the same no matter the crowd as yeah. far as the performance i give or the experience that yeah. i offer i want it to be just the same as 10 people as yeah. ten thousand people you entered and won the cerebon vocal com- competition when you were still in college yes when i was a junior and you i could see a world in which you would have not finished college yeah but i think that even though it opened doors i still was like slow down yeah <laughs> we're in our junior year yeah. you have like a year and a half left to go yeah. you know which turned out to be COVID. Yeah. And so I was supposed to do this, the um, Newport Jazz Festival in 2020. Uh-huh. And I'm kind of grateful that it didn't happen then yeah. because I felt like I could, in 2022, I felt like I had a bit more of a footing. I was yeah. a little bit more established, I guess, in who I was and had a little bit more experience because I think if I had just gone right after the Cerebon competition, it yeah. would have been one and done, you yeah. know? not a yeah not as prepared i guess as i would have been um but it was like saravon competition january randomly went to dubai to sing at a wedding which is cool cool vincent herring was gonna give it was like one of his uh drummers no i think he does he teach at william patterson i think so maybe um but yeah his he was gonna play at a, a wedding and then the the bride and groom were like that's too much and he was like well i can send some students <laughs> and um to do the same thing for less and so i joined them and then COVID, and um it wasn't i get, i don't think it was as detrimental to me as it was to a lot of other people um because i just went back home to my family i took my zoom classes yeah for the rest of my junior year into my senior year yeah only went to campus one time once or twice and it still feels weird that that was even a period of my life that stretch of time one thing that you did start doing and i don't know if it was during covid or i mean i don't know if we're, i don't know when covid stu- actually ended but whatever but you know when during that intense period of time or if it was after that is that you started going on tiktok and you started mm. really engaging with social media in a way that few jazz vocalists have done before you know what's strange i didn't my brother was really into tiktok during the pandemic yeah. but i just couldn't bring myself to download it yeah. i was like we don't need another thing <laughs> yeah. to, you know, yeah. to um, suck all of our time into. Um, so I didn't start. I didn't start doing it until January of 2021. Yeah. And um, that's when I started like posting videos more often. Like before that, in the pandemic, maybe here or there, one yeah. one or two videos or something like that. But it wasn't really serious, which which is why I was surprised when I found out that Regina King knew who I was. Because there was like one viral video, August of 2020. There what was, was the one video? viral video with my professor. It was called, uh, I did um, 
take love easy um, because I had just got awarded with the Ella Fitzgerald Scholarship at the school. And he was like, you know, we want to send a message to the Ella Fitzgerald Foundation with this song. And it just randomly went, like, I was, like, on Facebook, no less, like, two or three million views in four days. Um, and that's when I started GoFundMe to fund the first album, mm -hmm. which was recorded in October of 2020. But, yeah, that was, like, my only real, like, association with social media at that, at that moment in the pandemic. But afterwards, posting on TikTok and getting, like, I don't know, 100,000, 200,000 mm -hmm. followers within the first couple of months was crazy because I was like, I feel like at w the reason, the real reason why I didn't go on it during the pandemic was because I feel like I didn't really belong. I was just like, it's too fast paced for me, I guess, you know, it's not. And they're not necessarily into the stuff that I'm into. I'm into, you know, which is like story of my life. But yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's for me. Um, but it turns out, you know, that that kind of platform with so many users, there, there's somebody, there's an audience for everybody on it. What do you mean story of my life? I feel like they're not into what I'm into. <laughs> I don't know. It's like not everybody in fifth grade was <laughs> listening to bass players or, yeah. you know, um, or like I would listen, I would watch like, you know, snarky puppy videos or, you know, different. There's this competition called Strange Arrange where like bands would come in and do like their strange arrangements or like compilations of stuff like that. So I don't know. It always felt like even though of course I knew like the I guess the popular songs of that time I didn't really fit in with people who also also with people musically I guess who yeah. like were into um were not into the stuff that I was into so so it's I mean it does sound like you're you all for, from day one have been kind of caught between these two sides of yourself yeah. like you're a 21st century kid but you're also heavily influenced by yeah I don't want, and I don't even want to say old music, but just like good music that was not made in my time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you won the Grammy, one of the things that you said was, "I'm from the Bronx." Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, did you plan on saying that? Was that something that you know was important for you to say? I knew I wanted to say it because, um, for some reason, even though it was like you know, the birthplace of hip hop, and yeah. you know, a lot of artists come out of the Bronx it still gets a really bad rap, you know, and it's like, oh, the Bronx, you're from the Bronx? Yeah. Whoa, yeah. this is crazy. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. And especially because there was like Fat Joe there and yeah. Jennifer Lopez. Who else? I think they're, they're kind of the only two that I can think of. Yeah. Fat Joe. Like he came up to me and was like, you're from the Bronx? And gave me a yeah. hug and everything. But yeah, I just think that sometimes the stereotypical story is like it's dangerous nothing, it's dangerous it's, yeah. there's nothing in the bronx you know no music scene which is kind of kind of true i wish there was definitely a bit of more of a, yeah. a lively music scene out there for all genres what did new york city what did manhattan mean to you mm. when you were growing up did you go into manhattan not too much yeah i did like as a part of school i went to yeah. certain like um, musicals for example in high school we went to <laughs> enjoy you, your day, yeah, have a nice day. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Bye. Have a good one. Oh, that's so sweet. Beautiful family. That's so sweet. Wow. Oh, man. Oh. We're talking about Bronx, but I do want to ask you this question. Yeah. Your name is Samara Joy. Yeah. Middle, first and middle name. Samara. Okay. But your first name is Samara. Mm-hmm. But everybody seems to want to call you Samara. Yeah. Yeah. What? It happens. What do you what what, what are we what are you gonna do? 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can do anything about it as long as it's not like like somebody on the jazz cruise was like, Sandra, is that you? I was like, <laughs> no, 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 it's, no, not. it's not me. <laughs> I almost said yes because I was yeah. like, oh yeah, sure, yeah. Sandra, that's my yeah. name. But Samara, Samara. Um, Has it been that way your whole life? People call you Samara. Yeah, you know, like my teachers who call me either Samara or Samara. My grandfather calls me Samari. So oh. what's happening, Samari? Samari? Samari. Yeah. Samari. <laughs> so, you know, it's it doesn't mean it's not it too doesn't uh, no, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. But But it, I but I want to make a point of saying that mm-hmm. it your name is Samara. Samara, yeah. My dad, my dad named me. <laughs> so, Manhattan was a place you went for shows to see shows a little yeah, bit, Yeah, like so kind of dipping in, but I d- I wasn't really allowed to do like public transportation yeah, yeah. everything like my dad literally drove us yeah. to and from school every day wow <laughs> i didn't start taking the bus until like the end of high school right um and not even like the school bus or anything like that like so but now and now you're out here in the world i mean what does your dad transition. think about that what does your dad think about <laughs> that a, is he worried he's he's both my parents are very um they're protective but at the same time they're like you're you're an adult now yep and so you are this is your work. This is your job. Yeah. Um, but see us whenever you can, you know. Yeah. Uh, but they're definitely like, where are you? <laughs> yeah. I want to know what hotel you're staying at, where yeah. you are, where are you going next, that kind of thing. They're always very watchful and protective and stuff. But um, they're not they're not worried. It's just I mean, yeah. I guess all parents worry, but they're at least they're, they're very good at not showing their, yeah. their worry as much. Suddenly you're out here. There's a lot of hanging. You go from this very kind of sheltered existence to like there's a lot of nighttime. There's a lot of. Mm-hmm you know, nightlife. How has that transition been like for you? I think that I'm honestly, I'm starting to get used to it. I'm not a heavy partier. Yeah. I'm not a heavy hanger, anything yeah. like that. But I do enjoy like meeting up with musicians yeah. after the gig and yeah. like just getting the chance to talk and yeah. and uh, listen to music and stuff like that. I, I appreciate that more and more because before it would just be like, play the gig, go home, yeah. you know? Um, but there is something about that community, yeah. you know, um, outside of playing like what are your relationships like yeah. and stuff um but i never you know i never really been a heavy party or any yeah. party or drinker yeah. or anything like that um and they know that and i don't think i'll ever get into it because i can kind of that's one thing about the bronx like i've seen what it kind of can do to people and even you know musicians and singers that i've admired in the music industry mm-hmm. get caught up in that and they sure. have documentaries made about them and about their lives and stuff so i, I watched all that stuff with my mom I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I don't want <laughs> I don't that. Want, I don't want that for my life. You know. You also, as a singer, you have some, some responsibility that I think a lot of other musicians don't have, which is that like your instrument is your body. Yeah. So it's very it's an to be an athlete. Yeah, which it's is like not being an something athlete. I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, when how do you you know what are you doing to make sure you can sing every night? Well, I think the main thing is being hydrated. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only way that I can really like properly function is by. Yeah. You know, not only what I like as far as drinking water yeah. and stuff, but like what I eat mm-hmm. and trying to manage that as as best as possible on the road. Um, but I also have like a mini keyboard that I bought <laughs> for <warm laughs> so that I take with me, you know, because I, I don't want to if you don't use it, you lose it. And it's not practice is not on stage, although that is so, so like a part of it. But it's like the preparation beforehand um, is just as important to making sure that you don't get injured and stuff like that. So, so no matter what. So what's your warm up like? Well, I do. I have like like scales out of a yeah. book. You know, um, there's this book called um, Bel Canto. Uh-huh. Um, right, let's Mar- let them go there, but yeah. I'm sorry. Sarah. No, it's okay. I love that we're sitting out here, chilling, literally in the 
parking lot behind the Hilton, you've been recognized once your friend <laughs> drove by and yeah. spotted you. Like, it's like, wow. What would it Anywhere. have been like if we were in the front of the hotel? <laughs> if this is the back of the hotel? Uh, All right, let's that's just weird let too, go. getting recognized. Even though I didn't do um, shows last week, a couple of friends from out of town came into town for the Blue Note. And so I was like, I don't want to just, you know let you fend for yourself when yeah. you're supposed to come to the show. So I'm yeah. showing you around New York. We went to musicals and, and stuff like that. And we stopped in a Krispy Kreme in Times Square. <laughs> and this lady came up to me and was like, I don't want to cause a scene, but are you who I think you are? I'm like, I'm dressed not like I at all like how I look on stage. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, how do you know what I look like? But, you know, it's just, it's very strange. Even like being interviewed, I'm like, I hope I don't mess up <laughs> or like, you know. People, and that's another thing about all of this is like people are like, and I guess it's not a bad thing, but people like weigh my opinion a little bit differently, a lot heavier. I'm like, guys, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, <laughs> you know, don't ask me for lessons right now. I'm, I'm, you know, learning myself just as much. Are um, you getting asked for lessons? People want to yeah, say, yeah, you? you know, like online and stuff. It's like, are you giving lessons? Even if it's, you know, I'll pay whatever. I'm like, no. No, no. <laughs> because you just feel like you're not there. I'm not there. No, I'm not there yet. And, yeah. you know, Sullivan Fortner a couple weeks yeah. ago while we were on the cruise, he was like, something like teach has the same root word as learn. Mm -hmm. And so as you're as you're teaching, you're learning too and vice yeah. versa. So you shouldn't be afraid to do that. Um, but I still am like, let me get a, I don't know, a curriculum together or something yeah. like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. So that I'm a little bit more organized in my thoughts and, and what I do in yeah. order to be able to share it with people. And not necessarily like teach them my method, but, you know, discover a better and healthier way of singing for themselves, you know. so. Well, I think that's the thing, right? Like there's method and stuff, but like what, you know, your success, you know, your story is about you finding yourself. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's what other people have to do is find themselves. It's like, guys. <laughs> I can't teach. I was like one lesson, ten minutes, you're done. Yeah. You know, I don't. I'm. I don't know. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. I want to ask you about the ongoing nature of the dynamic and the relationship with Matt Pearson. You know, you have this kind of creative and business relationship with mm -hmm. Matt. Tell me about that and how that has had some influence on what's happened. I mean, if I hadn't met him, I probably wouldn't be here right now. As far as like in my career, I have him to thank for the forethought as far as like we can release we can record an album in the pandemic no pressure mm -hmm. release it after you graduate see what happens mm -hmm. if we put together a booking team and yeah. um both for both here and the states you know and having sort of kind of a strategy for the next couple of months to to build your name yeah I'm like in a pandemic like i'm like not even graduated from high school i mean from from college yeah. um in the thought of making a record i'm like i don't know if i have the tools to do that yet you know and a lot of people i guess they wait for a while before releasing their debut yeah. record and stuff but yeah i mean the the fact that he you know produced and also managed yeah has been a huge help the past couple of years um and i think that he's definitely been a lot busier as far as uh, the managing side is concerned over the last couple of weeks yeah it's nice to have someone who is not necessarily trying to take advantage of the momentum and, and join the team and stuff yeah. like that. Like he's there since the beginning, you yeah. know, kind of started this this whole thing. So it's been productive, I would say. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, as I've grown and as I've kind of become a little bit more clear on what I want, yeah. you know, kind of taking con creative 
control here yeah. and there. Because when I, the first album, I didn't know. I was like, okay, we're going to do these songs and yeah. that'll be that. You know, getting the chance to try out different repertoire yeah. on gigs, like playing with different musicians. Yeah, I, I feel like I've grown a lot in the past couple of years. Yeah. And at the same time, he understands that. And we, you know, continue to communicate about my yeah. vision and how we can bring it to to fruition so but one of the things that he did do also is that he put you in touch with pasquale grasso mm -hmm. and that early part of your development was this i think unusual configuration of you know his pasquale's trio the guitar trio with you mm -hmm. which i think did give you a kind of a unique sound that wasn't the same as the sound of so many other singers who were generally working with piano players Try to give a party and the guy upstairs complains Guess I'll go through life just catching colds and missing trains Everything happens to me yeah, which is another thing, of course, that I liked is like unique and different and something that not everybody does. Um, and it was fun, you know, getting the opportunity to play with Pasquale and we did we did share a teacher he definitely had more time with him than I uh -huh. than I did but with Barry Harris so having that foundation you know having the I don't want to say chops I don't like yeah. the word chops but like yeah. you know all the facility of a piano player yeah. on such a, a hard instrument yeah. you know and just being able to play so beautifully you know behind me and support me during that first couple of years it really it was a it was different, but I, I really enjoyed it. Tell me about when you studied with Barry Harris. So I went to my first class with Barry Harris my sophomore year at Purchase. And the first class was, I mean, I think it was just like any class. It was six hours. And um, it started with piano. And then he moved on to the singer portion. And I remember the first song I sang was I'll Be Seeing You. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> after I sang it, everybody was like, <laughs> welcome <laughs> welcome to the class and it's like you know it was from from that moment you know it was like a really really welcoming community of people surrounded by you know obviously this wonderful teacher um but yeah it just started out it it pretty much the whole relationship eventually we kind of got on like a a name basis and yeah. i went to his house a couple times uh -huh. and and kind of went through scales and and learning songs and stuff but um really i just i wanted to be around him and yeah. so I would go to his classes on Tuesdays. I would go to his big band classes and sing, you know, one of the charts was If You Could See Me Now that he actually wrote for Cecile, but she couldn't be there all the time. So um, I sang it with them whenever he had a gig, um, whether it was in, uh, he did something in Harlem. I can't remember if it was the Charlie Parker Festival or if it was the Billy Taylor one, but he was doing a gig. I was in the choir. We all sang together in Peak Skill. We sang together. So... I always wanted to be around and I always I mean the first the, the main thing that I learned from him was kind of to be firm in what you believe in. Mm. Is um, that hard to know what you believe in? Be, and, I mean, you definitely have to determine it. it for your for yourself, you know, what yeah. what kind of but it's just like the integrity of of you know, his whole message as far as like playing bebop <laughs> and mm -hmm. playing melody and playing music like it was just and, and sticking to that for 91 for like over yeah. 80 years yeah. you know I guess I started playing when he was young but um 
Right, you're gonna give him a pass on the first ten years. <laughs> I'm like, maybe you know, I don't know what he was doing then, but I know around twelve years yeah. old. I think that's when yeah. you first decided. But yeah. um, to keep that kind of spark, you know, to keep that kind of flame alive for teaching and for yeah. for sharing music, for being passionate about it, for always being a student of it. Yes. You know, even as you're teaching. Yeah, that's that's. Well, like, you know, somebody told me that teach and learn have the same root. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> And he was definitely, he embodied that entire... Yeah, that philosophy. That, that philosophy, wholly. Do you feel like you are a band leader? Yes. <laughs> but at the same time, it's not so um, dictatorial, mm -hmm. is that a word? Yeah, that's a word. <laughs> because I do like to collaborate with yeah. everybody. Like, at the same time, I know that they're looking at me to lead, yeah. you know, and to have somebody that they're confident in. That You, I look at, you look at me, I give the cue, yeah. that's what it is, you know? It's important to establish that kind of trust, but at the same time, I love getting ideas from the band. Yeah. You know, it's like, I want to do something different with this song. What do you think about it? Yeah. Um, so I think that's the role of a band leader too, is to, to cultivate the space um, where ideas can flourish and yes. where we can you know, grow together. If we're going to be building a sound together, it's not just me and you guys also in the back. Yeah. You know? It's all of us. Ooh, oh. So that's what I love. Yeah. about being a band leader I guess yeah. and I don't I don't I don't call myself one but I know that that's the role that I've had to kind of step into over the past couple of years in terms of even finding the people that you want to work with and be on the road with how do you decide what are you looking for the thing is I, it's not like I really have time to like audition people yeah. <laughs> um so really it's decided when we play a gig together yeah like I'm like okay here's the book yeah here's the set list here the you yeah. know all the ins and outs, intros and endings and stuff like that. Let's see how it goes, yeah. you know, and if we have a couple of opportunities to do that and it goes well, I'm like, want to stay, yeah. <laughs> you know? And if it doesn't, you know, then just, you know, we just keep trying Good because morning. they're, morning. morning. <laughs> do you have any time off? Not much. August is still open, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, of course, they want to be proactive about making sure that there are gigs on the books for the upcoming year you know there is a strategy as far as markets to hit and things like that but it's been it's been quite busy it's been quite busy and I'm kind of learning how to balance my time when I'm home do you stay with your parents when you go home I have an apartment you do and that's the thing is like sometimes I kind of go into the hole <laughs> and yeah. I don't you know it's like I've already been around a lot of people I don't necessarily want to go be with my family yet and get all these questions and things like that. I just want to chill and chill for a second. But I'm like half time spent alone, half going to my parents' house in the Bronx and just being there, you know, and that doesn't necessarily have to be um, like we're doing something, going out anywhere or anything like that, but just like being there in the house um, because I lived there until I was like till after I graduated. I'd only moved, I think, September of 2021. So they're always, they're used to having me at home. And so to now kind of adjust to me not being there, especially for my little brother, I think it's a little difficult. But So that's why I try to, when I'm home and, or even when I'm playing a show in New York, make sure they're always there and make sure I can always like, you know, spend some time there, sleep over, that kind of thing. Put in some FaceTime, beyond FaceTime. Put in the FaceTime beyond FaceTime. <laughs> Well, Samara Joy, thank you for putting in some FaceTime with me today. Oh, man, thank you. This has been such a pleasure. I will never forget sitting on the, <laughs> on curb, the curb in Palm Springs. In the parking lot behind the hotel, <laughs> watching you get recognized. I know. 
twice. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Yeah. I look forward to seeing you play tonight. Thank you. And I hope, I definitely hope to have some more concise answers next time I talk to you. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm well, working on it. Well, I look forward to it. <laughs> there she was, my friends, Samara Joy. What a lovely person. What an incredible talent. I'll be back again in your headspace before you know it. Until then, I'll talk to you soon. You know something. I'm in love with you. This has been a WBGO Studios production. To learn more about WBGO Studios award-winning podcasts, special concerts, live streams, and more, visit wbgo.org/studios.